The greatest hits of all time are back. This is the all-new WMEX. WMEX Boston. They singing all night, drinking wine, spooty ooty, drinking wine. That's right, it's time for Wine by Design with Len right here on 1510 WMEX. Len is a certified wine educator with over 30 years in the wine industry and one of the newest WMEX good guys. Call in with your questions at 781-834-9639. Here is your host, Len Prasuti. Well, thank you, Ben. And welcome, everyone, to Wine by Design. I just wanted to mention, in addition to calling in your questions at uh, WMEX at 781-834-9639, you can email me at lenwmex at gmail.com or l-e-n-w-m-e-x at gmail.com. Love, love the questions. Um, One of the things I wanted to start with tonight, however is those of you that have been listening to the show for a while know how passionate we are at the Prasuti household about food and wine matching. And we came across yet another phenomenal match. We do admittedly have very high standards. And, you know, usually we can't drink something where the the wine's fighting the food and all that, but it doesn't have to be perfect. You know, you're having fun, you're enjoying a meal with your loved one, whatever, with uh, friends. So it doesn't always have to be perfect, but every now and then you just hit one of these matches that, oh my God. And that happened this past week. One of the neat things about it was, It was a North Shore restaurant. Anyone interested, I'll let you know uh, who it was, that does this amazing app. It's lobster and crab cakes, but it's the big chunks of lobster just kind of filled together with shredded crab. Amazing on their own. But they have this garlic chive alioli that really sets it off perfectly. We've had the app before, and, you know, I haven't been really wild by the matches, but we're always trying new things here. And we came upon this wine that was just incredible. It was the 2022 Destino Fifth Empire Alvarinho from Portugal. Now, Alvarinho is the same grape that across the river in Spain they call Albarinho. Um, and it does tend to be a little bit different in character. You know, the, the rep is the big reputation is for the, the ones from Spain. This is from the uh, Vina Verde region in the northern part of Portugal. This wine, however, was amazing. We love it when the wines really over deliver at the price point. And boy, this one did. It was a little different in that it was much, much, much more mineral-driven than a typical Albarino from Spain would be. And it just had this powerful mineral presence that was just made so much more interesting and fun 
by some of the uh, flavors that you would expect from an Albarino, like some peach blossom and uh, a little hint of underlying apricot and that. Just an amazing wine on its own. But my God, when you put the two of those together, sparks fly. Sparks were flying, excuse me. The, um, the wine, which was incredible on its own, gained in stature. Um, it softened just a hair, so the minerality and all that fruit was perfectly in balance. And again, the lobster and crab cakes tasted even better with it. One of the best parts was the wine cost like $17. And as I mentioned, really over-delivered. We're interested in trying it with some other seafood dishes too, but that was kind of the wine and food match find of the week. One of the things I wanted to talk about, you know, going into Bordeaux, which we were going to finish off hopefully this week, is I've made a lot of efforts to um, further my education. And whenever I could, I would take uh, these programs, sometimes traveling, uh, you know, into Europe or whatever, or to 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 actually study um, with the master, so to speak. And those have been incredible. But perhaps the single best educational opportunity I ever had in my life was totally due to dumb luck. Uh, it just had to do with the timing being right. And it happened when I was planning a trip to Bordeaux with my wife, Andrea. She gets, gets to accompany me on a lot of these things, which is, which is really fun for me. But anyway, Bordeaux, classified growth Bordeaux, which we're going to talk about in just a little bit, back then was totally the domain of Chateau and Estates wines. They sold the vast majority of classified growth, the better, the upper end Bordeaux in this country. And when I called the vice president that I dealt with, um, mentioning the dates, he mentioned to me that they were going to be there. They had a tour for the vice presidents of this major importing company that bought almost all of the Bordeaux that came into the United States that were classical growths. So I jumped at that. Um, thank God I had a relationship with him because we were selling thousands and thousands of cases of classified growth Bordeaux. So I'm sure that didn't uh, hurt in terms of the the invitation there. But wow, what a trip that was. One of the most memorable trips of my entire lifetime. We had visits with wineries that you just don't get visits with. Uh, first of all, it went on for about eight or nine days, and we did get to almost all of the properties I wanted to see, like the first gross, like Mouton Rothschild and Chateau Margaux. My God, we spent, oh, an hour and a half with... Uh, Paul Pontillier, who is the person that, the legendary uh, person that put Chateau Margaux back on the map in terms of quality when they were going through the little quality things. Chateau Latour, another first growth. Aubryon, a number of the second growths, uh, Montrose, uh, Pichon Baron, and uh, Ozone from Saint-Emilion and Cheval Blanc and all those. 
But the two that were really the most special of them, in, in addition to the visit with Paul Pontier, which was just amazing at Chateau Margaux, the one that really stands out in my memory is the visit we had at Chateau Ecamp. Now, for those of you that aren't familiar with it, I talked last time we met about Sauterne and how it's made from these grapes that are botrytis affected and all that, and how special it is and how it concentrates the, the sugars and the acids in the wine and imparts this kind of spiciness to it. Well, Chateau Ikem is actually the chateau that started that whole harvesting of the grapes going through the vineyards at different times to get them all at exactly the right degree of ripeness. It's interesting in that, um, a question that comes up, yeah, it's bound to come up, what is the best wine in the world? Really, really difficult to answer. More often than not, when pressed, any wine professional I've run into has said Chateau Ikem. And one of the reasons for that is they are making something as well as can be humanly possibly done. Um, they don't care. I mean, they pay attention to what they're spending their money on and all that, but they don't care about financial loss or how much trouble they have to go to in making these wines as good as they can humanly be made. To give you an idea of the attention to detail here, they have typically about 150 pickers during the harvest that go out in these different um, kind of journeys through the vineyards through a 66 to uh, eight week period, picking only the grapes that are absolutely perfect at that stage of, yeah, they're fully botrytis affected, but, but not over the edge. Um, one year, they went through the vineyards 13 different separate times because they wanted to get it right, and it was a difficult vintage. But after all of that work, they didn't even make wine that year because they thought the wine wasn't up to their standards. So I do have to admit some of the most profound uh, wine drinking experiences of my life have been with Chateau Ecamp. One of the beauties of being in the trade, I've had a chance to taste over a dozen vintages. And one of the great things about this visit at Chateau Ecamp is the winemaker for the previous 30 years, who was a, a legend in his own right, was the one actually giving us the class. He did it in front of this huge blow up of a grape uh, bunch that was in different stages of botrytis affection. So he could point out uh, with his laser pointer, okay, see this? This isn't right. It looks to the untrained eye like that has shriveled enough, but that doesn't meet our level of standard here. And going through chapter and verse of exactly what they're looking for in the grapes, I found out afterwards that it's considered to be an honor to pick the grapes at Chateau Ikem. And very often, they'll use people from the village. Uh, trust me, been to Bordeaux a number of times, and they really do know how to party. So I'm sure after the harvest was in, 
they had a very good time. But during this harvest, they're harvesting berry by berry with very strict uh, supervision by people working at Ikem full time. And the story was, if even once someone noticed that you weren't picking exactly the right berries, you were warned once, and the second time you were asked to leave and never returned, which was to be a, a, a great dishonor in the village there. So anyway, he was the person that told us about the production methods and all that and how this wonderful wine came to be in the bottle. It's very expensive, but on the other hand, it's just amazing in that uh, for what it costs, because they have so, so few grapes that reach this point. And when they're shriveled, they produce so much less fruit that where other Bordeaux properties would have, uh, you know, say a bottle of wine per vine with Chateau Echem, they get a three ounce glass. So it really does make that much difference. And the wine lasts seemingly forever. It's kind of neat with people selling off wine cellars now and then you can actually come across some older vintages that are bargains, but whatever you have to pay for it, I've never, never had a bad Chateau Ecam in my life. The other visit that was pretty amazing and when I tell other people in the trade about it, it's like, what? Um, we actually had an incredible visit with Prey Truce that went on um, for over half of the day. Now, for those of you that aren't familiar with the wine, it's the very best wine of Pomerol. It has a, a special plot that's the highest elevation in Pomerol, and it has the perfect soil and all that. Um, planted pretty much to 100% Merlot. There are a couple older Cabernet Franc vines there, but they don't put them in the blend uh, typically at all. But for years, other than very recently, where some people are making wine just to make the wine the most expensive wine in the world, that was the most expensive wine upon release of any wine from Bordeaux and one of the most expensive of any wine in the world. I mean, they were charging $5,000 or more a, per bottle of that uh, for Chateau Petrus. And, and you couldn't get it. There was so little of it. There was actually almost kind of bidding wars that would go on there. So we were honored to actually visit the winery itself, which was really kind of small and unassuming. And it's like, oh my God, they really, you know, they're making this world-renowned wine here. But then we went into the vineyards and that's where it really kind of came home to us. They pay so much attention to the vines there and the growing conditions. Christian Muex, the person behind uh, Chateau Petrus, actually conducted our tour of the vineyards uh, personally and explained to us you know, what goes into it and the the problems that they have. One of the things we're going to mention about in just a little bit when it comes down to uh, Bordeaux is it has to do with soil types. And in Palmerol, primarily Merlot in this case, pretty much exclusively, 
they're grown on clay soil, which does not play well with rain. It doesn't drain particularly well. So if there's any rain around harvest, they would do these extraordinary things like one vintage, he actually hired helicopters to just hover above the vineyards so that they would help evaporate the, uh, the water before it could soak down into the grapes and dilute them for the vintage and make the, the vintage not so good. Um, another vintage, he tried covering all of his vines with tarps. And so the water was running off. I think he got into trouble with the official Bordeaux organization from that because they're saying, you know, you're dis disturbing the ecosystem here. You're causing more water to run off in the neighboring uh, areas that. But not only did we have that, but we were honored to have lunch at his private residence, which was absolutely uh, amazing. Uh, just to give you an idea, you could actually see from his backyard the river, which they say the, the best vineyards, you can see the river. But the wine was so well known that he's very into art. And in his backyard, he had these huge slabs of metal, about 25 feet high and about 35 feet wide and about a foot thick. There were three of them that were juxtaposed at different angles to one another. And they were made by some metal that was corrosive so that it would uh, rust. And we asked him, well, what's that? And uh, he told us that that was his artistic statement for the property. These slabs were so big that there were only two cranes in all of Europe capable of placing them where he wanted them. But uh, just, just absolutely amazing. And uh, again, when you're sitting next to Christian Muex and he's pouring champagne for you in his private abode, it's, uh, it's something you don't soon forget. So um, we did a lot of other things there too, but those were really the highlights. But just did want to kind of finish off Bordeaux a little bit. Now, Bordeaux is a complicated area. There's 65 different appellations there. I would say some of the lesser known ones aren't that important, but they can be important because sometimes they represent great values. There's over 5,000 properties. But I want to go into kind of the basics to give you an overview of it, and especially the red wine regions. The big, broad divisions of Bordeaux are left bank and right bank. So the left bank of the river, which is the Madoc and Grave, is mostly gravelly soil. Now, throughout all of this area, there are different soil types throughout, but there's one soil type will predominate typically in one area and then others in other areas. So the left bank, the Madoc, um, here we're talking Cabernet Sauvignon, which does the best in the gravel there. Um, the Medoc here, we're talking Saint-Estephe, Poliac, Saint-Julien, Margot, uh, the, the Grave uh, area is kind of just below the Medoc, but considered part of that left bank there. Uh, a typical blend for a left bank wine would be eh, 
of 60 to 70 percent Cabernet Sauvignon, um, maybe 15 to 20 percent Merlot, 10 to 15 percent or so Cabernet Franc, both the Merlot and the Cabernet Franc kind of uh, soften the cab. And more and more, the Petit Verdot, as I mentioned the last time we met, is becoming very important because of the intensity that that adds uh, in terms of tannin, color, and, and flavor. It just really brightens up the whole blend and makes it more intense. The flavors there, though, are really special. One of the things that I look for when I'm looking uh, for a, a left bank Bordeaux is black olive. You don't usually get that in Cabernet in other areas. That's one of the few places I really noticed that happening there. But then it's accompanied by cassis, um, some really interesting mineral notes like uh, notes of lead pencil or graphite. And uh, you, you get things like coffee and that in the blend, but that's more a, a function of the oak aging. These wines do, especially at the top growths, and we're going to talk about the classification of the, the Madoc and Grave in just a bit, take some time to come around. But they are incredibly complex, very age-worthy, and tend not always to show well in their youth. The other major area there is the right bank of Bordeaux, which is Saint-Emilion and Pomerol. Uh, here, we're talking primarily clay and limestone soils. However, there is some gravel in some spots, and you do find some Cabernet there, usually very, very little, maybe 4 or 5%. But if they have a gravelly patch, they do tend to plant it in uh, Cabernet. Here... However, the blend, uh, especially for Saint-Emilion, we're talking 60, 70% or so Merlot, the remainder being Cabernet Franc. And for Pomerol, we're talking even higher percentages because there tends to be even more clay, typically 80% or more, the remainder usually being Cab Franc. But as I mentioned, the Petrus is pretty much 100% Merlot there. They're rounder and more supple when they're young, and they tend to be ready earlier. Um, there are some other regions, uh, the Entre du Mer, which they produce a lot of wine there, uh, but we're not going to go into that so much. And the different coats that uh, also produce wines that are usually sold under the Bordeaux appellation, but uh, those are topics for another day. But what I did want to talk about here, because there's... Uh, People have a lot of questions about it, and it has to do with the classification of the Madoc there, because when people talk about classified growth Bordeaux, that's what they're talking about. There are a number of others in Saint-Emilion and Grave and a number of other places, but this is the one that got all the uh, attention and still people rely on today for the very, very best wines. Um, it came about by an order of Napoleon III in 1855. They were having a World's Fair there, and he wanted a listing of what was then considered to be the very best wines of Bordeaux. So, wow, what a task they had. They decided to do it just on price. So they based the prices on, uh, you know, they looked at the prices, excuse me, of what the wine sold for 
for the previous hundred years, and they came up with these five different levels. That's where the first growths came from, Lafitte, Rachel, Margot, Latour, Aubryon. Um, Mouton back then was actually considered to be a second growth. That had to do with the fact that they were um, not well cared for right before they uh, were taken over by the fam, the Rothschild family that now owns them. And they're the only major change. They went from the a second growth to a first growth in 1973, but they put in a lot of work to, to have that done. Anyway, five different classifications. Now, a fifth growth is one of the 61 top wines of all of Bordeaux out of 5,000 plus. So any classified growth um, is considered to be of very good quality. And there's some second growths like Maltrose, Cause d'Estrenel, Pichon Béron, Pichon Lalonde, that might be um, raised in a reevaluation to, to first growth. But it's surprising how well that classification system has held over the years. Now, one of the things about that classification system is it's hard to find wines in that classification system that are great values, but they can be found. Uh, and when you find them, jump all over it. One that was presented to me by a friend and colleague, John Romano, he came across the Echo de Lynchbosch, which is the second wine of Chateau Lynchbosch in the 2012 vintage. Now, Lynchbosch is a fifth growth, but great, great wine and would definitely be upgraded, no question, in a reclassification. We came across some 2012, which is a good year, not one of the great years. And that's probably why we were able to get this value, because people look at the vintages and for their sellers, they want the top vintages. We found it for $25 a bottle. And oh my God, I bought every bottle I could. It was almost three cases. I think it was two cases and 11 bottles, if it memory serves me correctly. But just um, when you find something like that, jump on it. We're almost through about a case. I know it's going to last another 15, 20 years, no problem. So we're still waiting for those to kind of come around. We'll treat ourselves to a bottle every now and then. It is still so young, though. That's the one I talked about in aeration that in the beginning took over six hours. It's down to about four now. But I did want to mention some wines if you want to just tip, dip your toe in Bordeaux there. The two whites that I'd recommend for dry whites are the Gravy Lacoste Grave for uh, $20, the 2021 is the current vintage. Simple, fresh Sauvignon Blanc that has no oak on it. But if you want to try the real Bordeaux experience here, I would go for the 2019 Chateau Picayou, which comes from the Pesac Lagnon uh, subdivision of the Grave region. And that's the very best area. This wine, the grapes got so ripe and the flavors were so intense that they're put in a pretty high percentage of new oak, about 50% or sometimes even more. And that goes for about $40. That does take some time to come around, but the 2019 that's on the market now is really 
kind of just about there. For the two reds, my favorite value in like a $20 range is Bellevue Pecharno. Uh, just absolutely killer stuff. The 19 or 20 vintages are available there. But if you want to kind of get the full Bordeaux experience, there is a wine called Magrave that is from the Margot region. And that wine gives you absolutely the full-blown Bordeaux experience for an incredibly modest amount of money. Uh, it retails for about $40, $42 a bottle, which, you know, if, if you're paying attention and uh, try to find it on sale, um, I, we still have some 2012s that we're drinking through that are absolutely amazing, totally, perfectly resolved, and my God, it, it's just one of our go-to wines when we're having someone over and we don't want to take any chances because every single one of those have been perfect. The other one I mentioned, that Bellevue Pechino, that $21 uh, bottle, was one of the biggest surprises we ever had. I came across a bottle of the 2000 vintage of that with actually the, within the past few months. Now, I thought it was going to be over the hill. It was spectacular and over-delivered to the point where it was one of the biggest surprises of my wine-drinking career, so to speak, when we had that, and it was just fabulous. So that's about it for this week. Um, again, please email you, me your questions at lenwmex or lenwmex.com. You've been listening to Wine by Design with Len on 1510. Thanks for listening. Till next week, all the best in wine and life.